Welcome to Acute Conversations, the official podcast of APTA Acute Care, where we share engaging conversations about acute care physical therapy so you can connect to your profession. I'm Ashley. And I'm Leo. Today we chat with Rebecca Griffith. We discuss working in the emergency department, practicing at the top of your scope. And how Brad Pitt and Fight Club is related to all this. Welcome, Rebecca. Today's guest we have with us is Dr. Rebecca Griffith. She's also known as the ED DPT. She specializes in care in the emergency department. As she believes physical therapists practice in the emergency department is a critical way to move upstream in healthcare that supports patients during their most critical moments. She's also an author. The name of the book is Top of Scope, the Emergency Department Physical Therapist Handbook. Additionally, she was instrumental in passing two motions within the APTA House of Delegates in support of emergency PT practice and is a founding member of the Emergency PT Steering Committee within the Academy of Acute Care. Rebecca, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Rebecca, could you tell us maybe just a little bit more about yourself, where you practice, and how did you get involved in the emergency department? How did that happen? Well, I have to tell you, I think this whole thing is a little surreal that I'm like on the Academy of Acute Care podcast because I never thought I would be a physical therapist, let alone an acute care physical <laughs> therapist. And then like, here we are, this is my whole career. So I actually swore I would never do any acute care because when I started physical therapy, I was in brain and spinal cord injury rehab or outpatient therapy, and I was afraid of hospitals. And then I had kids and I was trying to figure out like, how can I balance, how can I have a better life work flow so that I can take care of my kids, but still have a great career. And a, a classmate of mine was like, Hey, why don't you come work per diem at the hospital? And I was like, Ooh, like, like, I don't <laughs> no want to do that. And, do I'm a, that. and I'm afraid to admit too, that I was that person that just thought that acute care was just walking around with people. Like I was that person at the beginning of my career, which is so funny to me now. But Shame on you, Rebecca. I know. It's so <laughs> funny to me now, but at least I can admit I was wrong. And so I went and interviewed and they were like, we'd love to have you. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And I hated it at first because acute care can be a little lonely mm-hmm. because it's like the way I think about it is like working in a beehive. So you spend the morning in the beehive and then you go out to the flowers and then you come back to the hive. But that whole time you're alone, you're like mm-hmm. really working alone versus rehab or acute care. You were always with your teammates. Mm-hmm. So I have never thought about it like that. Before. I was lonely. I was and I guess lonely. that probably is true in the beginning. Like when you're new and you haven't yet learned the doctors and the nurses and the team, I've never thought about well, it like that. If you're pretty diem and you're on mm. a different yeah. unit every day. And you're not there every day. That's such a great point. You don't have the same patients. You don't have the same medical team. You don't, you don't really know. And I was on a different unit every day and I had no clinicals and acute care. I had no idea what I was doing, like none. And so... But the nature of the beast was every unit, right? So I can cover every unit in the hospital, I think, except the neonatal ICU. And as part of that, I started to consider myself the grout therapist, like the person that fills the cracks in the hospital. Like, oh, Rebecca's here. You go there and you go there. And in a pinch, you could even go there, right? And so that's kind of how I got started in the emergency department. 
we would get these pages and they'd be like, Hey, like, we don't really quite know what to do with this patient. Like they can't quite come into the hospital. They can't quite leave the hospital. It's like these folks in purgatory, acute care purgatory. They're not in, they're not out. Like, what are we going to do? I'm going to call you the EDPT and the metaphor queen. You have mm-hmm. some. Yes. I love, well, yeah. because I like to write. I like to write. I love to write. I love to read. So yes, language is one of my favorite things. So we, we definitely started going down there more and more. And because I was the grout therapist, I, I would just go do that. But it got to the point where the emergency department was starting to interfere with my patient caseload elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Because when you're prioritizing in acute care, right, the, the focus is always discharge. So the patients in the emergency department were really truly discharge pending, whereas my patients in the ICU, like they obviously weren't going anywhere today, but that didn't mean they didn't need therapy. So when I moved from kind of that per diem role into that permanent part-time role, because somehow along that road, the person who was afraid of vomit fell in love with the (laughs) hospital and found it to be not walking people around, but like being one of the most challenging environments I've ever worked in. So as part of that, I just started to ask, like, how can I make this better? Like, what can we do to improve this? So we started a pilot program in the emergency department to see, can we support this full time so that the patients upstairs get what they need and we can do a better job helping here in the emergency department? So that's a long answer to your very brief question. Well, I have a follow up question to that because I feel like so in the emergency department where I am, we might go down there like a few times, like hit or miss, but it's not like a regular Mm. thing. We're not like embedded in the emergency department. So I'm kind of curious, like what's your take on what is best practice for PTs in the emergency department? And how do you see that shaping over the, you know, in the future as we go down the road of more kind of niche specialty care? Well, I think that's an outstanding question. And I think best practice in the emergency department is top of scope. Mm-hmm. which is the title of the book, right? For a reason, because top of scope to me is a mindset. You can have that in any setting that you work in, whether in your, you're in pediatric home health, you're in working on the sidelines or you're in acute care. It doesn't matter. This is, it's a mindset of using all of the skills that you have to appropriately manage patient care, like a doctoring professional should do. So the difference that I see in some hospitals where people are going to the emergency department, they're really functioning on a consultant basis. Like they come down, they give their two cents and and then they leave. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. And so the mindset really is best practice is that we are there managing patients alongside our teammates, that we're not just dropping in and out and consulting. Is there anything wrong with that? No, I think it's really a valuable consulting service. But I think when we truly think about transforming society and being upstream and being the right provider at the right time for these patients that are clearly undergoing one of the most stressful experiences of their healthcare journey, do we want to consult or do we want to help manage that? And I think when you also take that mindset from consultant to provider to doctoring professional, then you're going to treat and manage that patient completely differently than you would if you just pop in and out. It's, it's an ownership, it's a role on the team. It's really truly being embedded as, as a care provider in that setting, as opposed to just a consultant. Well, I, I, I just had like a, a aha moment where, you know, how awesome would it be if we were embedded in the emergency department and we, you know, we're learning about all these disparities in healthcare mm-hmm. and we're probably gonna encounter so many people in the ED 
that might not access the healthcare system otherwise, might not know about physical therapy otherwise. And what a wonderful opportunity to introduce our profession to those people and just give them a little taste and a little access to see what benefit we can provide. So our, I think we're just like on the Rebecca Griffith soapbox show now is where we are, <laughs> is where we find ourselves. Because one of the things that I always say, and people are probably getting sick of me saying this, but I, I'm probably going to say it every time I can for the rest of my career. Physical therapy should not be a luxury. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about social determinants of health and we talk about the emergency department, the emergency department is a safety net. It's the only one we have. And if we learned nothing from COVID, it's that we have extraordinary disparities in this country with no real safety net yeah your insurance is tied to your job what if you lost your job your health just your health status just declined tremendously okay so like that's one example let alone the people who have always been at the bottom of that safety net we're still not catching those people they're still falling through the holes of the net we're only getting some of them so when patients come to the emergency department and they see a physical therapist most of them don't even know what a physical therapist is right and the ones that do have this perception of like i don't want to do exercise right now this is the worst (laughs) moment of my life Mm -hmm. so there's so much opportunity for education in this setting and for us to really truly shine because we're the hero of the day. If you're coming in with 10 out of 10 back pain and I can get you down to a four and give you hope that this isn't going to last forever, I'm the hero of the day. It's not the person who told you your x-ray was normal. It's the person that got you standing up and walking. If you came in with room spinning vertigo and you had to crawl to the ambulance and now you're like fine because you got the Epley maneuver or whatever it was that you needed, we're the people that are going to stand out. So when we do patient satisfaction questionnaires in the emergency department after physical therapy, the comments are amazing. They're like, gave me hope. Talk to me like a person. Listen to my story. Help I me with my that. pain. First person who touched me. You know, these are all things that we can really provide in our own unique way. And some things that we found by looking at the data of who we're accessing are people who statistically in the past would never have encountered a physical therapist. And I had a patient, I don't think I've told this story, a, a young girl, and, and I don't work in a children's hospital, right? So I don't often encounter kids. And I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, God, this is a small human. I'm not entirely sure what to do. But she was there for a musculoskeletal injury. And I said, hey, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because everybody asks kids that. I don't know why we do that, but I did it. <laughs> so and much she, pressure. I know. Like, you don't need to choose. You're like, no, no don't. <laughs> and she said, I want to be a physical therapist. Wow. Aww. And her clearly had some, some decreased health literacy. Like, there was refusal to mask. There was comments unnecessary comments about her size, like, and her health and things that, that were really kind of surprising to me. So I was... Surprised she knew what a physical therapist was. Mm -hmm. And so I asked her about that. I said, tell me about your plan for that. And she said, well, I'm in a leadership program through this university. I've encountered physical therapists there. I have a plan to, you know, go to high school at this school. And then my plan is to follow this leadership pipeline into this university, which also has a a DPT program. And I want to be a physical therapist. So I involved her actually in her, her diagnosis and treatment plan and it was incredible to me because this this child also just had Medicaid, like clearly somebody who would not normally be exposed to a physical therapist. And there was this one pathway where she actually got some exposure to that. 
and it gave me so much hope that that if we really work on that, we can reach people who wouldn't otherwise have exposure to PT and get them on those pathways. But we also need more PTs that represent that population as well. Absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I I have goosebumps just thinking about the story you just told. I introduced her to all the medical team and I was like, this is the PT who's going to come work with you in 15 years. And they were like, we're happy to have you. And it was great. You know, and I had her help me with her assessment. Like, what do you think? Are these crutches too high, too low? And she was just so smart and so ready for that, that challenge. And I have no doubt that she'll succeed, but I hope that we don't lose more people like that, that we find them. Now, Rebecca, I have a question. What do you say to people that might be detractors of having PT mm. in the emergency department? I'm on the APTA website right now, just looking at no. all of the positive aspects of PT in, in the in the emergency room. Wait, wait and throughput time uh, is decreased. The How we're consulted to be able to help out with hospital admissions. Does this need to be a true hospital admission? Or can we help this patient send them on their way? The reduction of cost, the reduction in use of imaging. Could you maybe talk about... And this is the big word that I learned at CSM or phrase value added. So what's the value that's added by having a physical therapist in the ED? Well, I think the real question is how much time do you have? Because there are so <laughs> many ways yes. that we add value. So just like the things that you said, we, we can help increase throughput time, decrease unnecessary hospital admissions, decrease opioid use, decrease mm-hmm. unnecessary imaging, basically all of that over medicalization because we're the right provider at the right time. We can also help with patient satisfaction, as I alluded to, which is hard to come by in the emergency department. I don't know if you've been to an emergency department lately, but satisfaction is low. Mm -hmm. We also increase provider satisfaction. So the the medical team is actually really pleased when they're able to work with a physical therapist, as well as like the case management and social work teams. So those are like some of the biggest benefits. I would say other little things that, that we've noticed anecdotally we can help with improving the department. So some ways that we do that are through staff training. Like we've given lectures to the residents on what the physical therapist wants you to know about low back pain or the APPs on differential diagnosis of non-central causes of vertigo or to the paramedic and EMT staff. Like here's how you can help a patient not fall. And here's how we can help you with your body mechanics to get this patient off the gurney and into the bed. So lots of little ways that we can contribute in that space to improve things. The other thing I've noticed is that we seem to bring a reassuring presence to patients because I think that's a focus we get in PT school that other professionals maybe don't like those soft skills, those non-tangible skills. Like sometimes I'll go in to see a patient and and the team might say, you know, we're pretty sure this is just anxiety, but she does have some dizziness. Can you take a look? And I'll complete that exam. And the patient, this patient that I'm thinking of said, are you a mom? Cause like, (laughs) You really seem like you know how to take care of people. And I thought, yes, but like also a physical therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Like we know how to reflectively listen. We know how to reassure you. We know how to give you information that you need without scaring you and complete a very comprehensive exam, which is very reassuring to people. Yeah. Physicians might go in and make a decision in five minutes. Does that mean they made the wrong decision? 
No, it means they're trained to make those those decisions very quickly based on information that they have. But we're trained more to intervene towards function. So we look at things a little bit more differently. And function is really what's important to our patients, right? Like they want to know that they're okay, but they also need to be able to do what they want to do. And we're the people that get them back to that. So I think that's that other like non-tangible benefit is then that patient is confident, they feel good, they feel ready to go, and they feel valued. Absolutely. I yeah. want to come to where you work and I just want to watch you because I feel like I can just picture it. I feel like it's like, okay, I'm spending time with this one patient. And then the doctor's like, Hey, can you come check out this patient? And I feel like you have to be like a superstar. I feel like you need to be a Jack or a Jane of all trades. Cause you're talking about lowering pain, vestibular, mm. preventing falls. And I'm like, I don't think I have the skills right now as a cardiopulmonary specialist to be able to go to the ED and practice there. So I feel like you almost need a little bit of everything. And then yeah. it makes me think like, is, is emergency department physical therapy going to be a specialty one day? Like one of our, you know what I mean? Well, it I would argue be. it already is a specialty, right? It's yeah. just maybe a not, ABC, not acknowledged, yes, right. re recognized, but I think you're right. And one of my favorite quotes is about that quote about Jack of all trades. And the quote is usually cut off and people say it kind of in a derogatory way, like a jack of all trades is a master of none. And they make that sound bad. Like, so you should get your NCS and specialize in stroke rehab because then you're a master of one. But the full <laughs> quote is a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. So we actually mm. do specialize at being generalists, just like emergency department physicians. They really need to know a lot about a lot. Yeah. But they also know when they've hit their max, what do they do? They refer you to a specialist. So that's exactly yeah. what I do. If I'm going to evaluate your low back pain, but I think you have a pelvic floor component, I'm going to let you know that and then I'm going to refer you. If you have a vestibular issue, I'm going to treat you as best as I can in that moment. And then I'm going to refer you to a specialist because that's my job. That's part of what I do as I make decisions about what comes next. I think of the emergency department kind of like a train station. And my job is to get you out of the station and onto the right train, wherever yeah. that might be. I was Home, thinking a gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm like yeah. the train station person that gets you into the correct train. I don't have to make sure you get all the way to your destination. That's not my job. And that's hard for students to understand mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we teach students like you're going to restore this person to their full function and they're going to be back playing soccer and working and momming and they're going to do all the things they want to do. That's not my job. My job is to, to help you safely get on the train and get to where you need to go. But my job is not to help you when you get there. My job is not to make sure you get there, but to get you going. So, so it's a different an, perspective. Are you an N of one? Are you the only PT in the emergency department or do you all have no. multiple? So at our facility, we actually have three full-time PTs in the ED every day. That's great. That is so great. When we when we look at the, the scope of the hospital, each floor has like a designated number of therapists, right? The emergency department actually right now has more PTs per day than any other unit in the hospital. But that makes oh. sense to me when you think about the resource that we're protecting and that we're trying to utilize those resources as as well as we can. And with access to care issues right now, I think having a physical therapist up front, helping make sure people get the appropriate care that they need in appropriate circumstances, right? Like I'm not deciding if anybody needs heart surgery, but I'm deciding if the, the best discharge disposition for you is actually acute rehab and not acute inpatient. Mm -hmm, and if mm -hmm. we can allocate those resources proactively, then we're going to decrease the strain on the healthcare system overall. 
So I'm, if someone's listening to this podcast right now and they're working in acute care and they're like, this is fantastic. Like, yes, we need to be in the emergency department and they are looking to maybe expand to the emergency department or increase their presence. Mm -hmm. How would you recommend they do that? Like, what are the first steps you take? Like, I mean, I'm just thinking like, how do you even set up a space down there for yourself? You know, space. <laughs> you don't get to have any space. No. Nope. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe not space, but but how? Like the logistics. How do you make that happen? How did you all make that happen? So it's a complicated process, right? And that's exactly why I wrote the book so that people would have a blueprint for exactly how to do that. And we're, we're also teaching courses on that to make it easy, because it's hard. And if you kind of don't get started the right way, it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So that's my goal is to make sure that when you're ready to go to the emergency department and practice as a top of scope physical therapist, that you do so on target in a sustainable and thriving way. So the first steps to that, I think, are really completing what I call, and, and lots of people are familiar with this, a SWOT analysis mm-hmm. on what the current state of your emergency department is, as well as so your for physical those, therapy. For those so, who aren't familiar, can you yeah, explain SWOT? I absolutely yeah. <laughs> well. So that stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And and it's a very helpful framework because you can look at the strengths of your department. You have PTs that, that have the right skill set and are ready to go. Or your weakness might be you you don't have any PTs who are familiar with really managing musculoskeletal diagnoses. So you might need to work on that, but that's an opportunity. You might have an opportunity that your hospital is looking to improve throughput time mm-hmm. and you're the right person to go. And a threat might be that your hospital is looking at downsizing your rehab department, for example. These are all things that have to be overcome. The next big step is really making sure that you have a team of collaborators that are committed to your success that help you gather the information that you need. In any hospital, data is the way to go. And you also need to be really tackling that facility's pain points. If that facility doesn't have trouble with throughput time, they may be afraid that you'll increase their throughput time. Mm -hmm. If that hospital has a huge problem with recidivism or people coming back to the emergency department, you want to tackle that as a physical therapist, you can tackle those pieces. So you need to focus less on what you want to achieve and more on what the hospital needs to achieve. Tackle that, get your foot in the door. And then once you're in the door, you can like rise in all your glory to, to do everything that a physical therapist can do. But you have to, you have to solve a problem, in my opinion, to get in there in the first place. Otherwise, there's just this culture that this is not the way things are done. Mm -hmm. So by by showing an innovative solution to real problems in your facility, that's the best way to get started. And I recommend a team of collaborators that include your rehab department, the therapists that want to participate, data analysts, and somebody from the administration in the emergency department, and an influential physician. They usually are really yeah. great at helping advocate for that culture change that's going to be needed. So I got to back up. What's a okay. throughput? So throughput is really door to door. Like how how long okay. does it take to get that patient through through the emergency department? Gotcha. And throughput are different from wait times, right? So wait times are like when things start happening to you, but throughput is really when you check in to when you check out, and how can we expedite that? For example, if you're not waiting, if you're if they were to call, say, an orthopedic surgeon to come and look at a, at a patellar subluxation or something like that, what if they're waiting for three hours for that orthopedist to have a minute where they could have seen a physical therapist in 10 minutes, gotten the care that they needed, and then been home already? So there are lots of things we can do to help impre- improve throughput. 
if you don't need an x-ray and the physical therapist can say, hey, you know, according to the ankle, Ottawa ankle rules here, like an x-ray really isn't indicated. Let me do a thorough evaluation. If I have further concerns, we can revisit that. And then we've now evaluated the patient. We might have done something to stabilize that ankle, given the patient's significant education and appropriate assistive device and a referral to our outpatient clinic, and they're on their way. That's, those are some examples of how you can improve throughput. Thank you for explaining that. Leo, mm -hmm. I think you had a question. Yeah, you know, I just want to say th this is great having you know, just this topic in general, having physical therapists in the ED is so important because it puts us right in the front line as a priority. We're not like a second or, or tertiary thought, right? Like you said, yeah. like, sometimes patients, they kind of fall through the cracks and to bring back your analogy of the grout, well, the grout helps prevent stuff falling through the cracks. So the fact that we yeah. are on front lines and, and we can take care of things on the front end, right, rather than once they've been through and then now the patient's been in the hospital for so many days and finally reading therapy as part of the conversation, we get right in the conversation right away. Now, where I work, we're starting to see this more and more where they're going to utilize therapists in the ER. There's some therapists that are a little bit apprehensive of going to the ER. Me as, as, a, as a acute care trained therapist, I love the ER, but there's a certain, I think there's some person and maybe it's personality, but I mm -hmm. wanted you to maybe expound a little bit. What are some of the characteristics that benefit somebody as a therapist working in the ER? Because this whole idea of the hive and the bees and the busyness, I feel when you go into a busy ER with different strong and these ER nurses and ER docs, they've got some strong personalities sometimes. Oh, for sure. You have to. So you're <laughs> yeah. going to have to carry your, your weight. But also you had the, the last point that you had mentioned about a physician being a uh, supporting you. A lot of physicians that I've talked to, they, they love having PT in the ER because of our differential diagnosis and what we've been yes. So could you talk a little bit about the characteristics of having, of, of striving and surviving in the ER as a PT? All right. Well, we're going to have to have another analogy. Are you ready for it? Oh, let's do it. <laughs> okay. I'm telling metaphor queen. I know. It's my new nickname. This is my favorite one because, uh, you know, I get to be Brad Pitt. So it's like Fight Club, right? Like <laughs> acute care PT, I think, is like Edward Norton. And then the ED PT is like Brad Pitt, right? Like you just have to have a little bit different of a personality. You have to yeah. have a very thick skin. Yeah. You have to... I think this is going to sound terrible, but you have to have some facility with dark humor because a lot of the people who work in emergency services, particularly after the pandemic has like really made it through this first stage, like people are a little traumatized. And I don't say that jokingly, like I really mean it that a lot mm -hmm. of people who work in emergency care as frontline providers use humor to cope with, with what they've been traumatized with in their work. And I learned that and I have experienced some of that trauma and you have to have a way to be able to cope. So I think having that like ability to have a, a sense of humor that probably if you made a joke like that on the ortho unit, you might lose your job, but in the ED, <laughs> it's more commonplace. I think you have to have extremely efficient and strong communication skills. Mm -hmm. And you have to have some real like confidence in your skill set because you have to advocate for your patients. And nobody's going to take you seriously if, if you don't know what you're talking about and you're not confident. But if I can go up to a provider and say, hey, I, I'm really concerned as to why you're doing a CT scan on this 40-year-old woman with hip pain who doesn't appear to have any traumatic onset, like that seems inappropriate to me and then have them ask you why, you need to be able to explain that. And, and I did do that one time and the attending said to the resident like, oh, Dr. Griffith has some questions for you, good luck. You know, And we were able to have a really nice discussion about, hey, let's do a musculoskeletal exam before we do imaging. 
or I've had a case where I was pretty sure a patient was having a stroke and I was new in the ED and I was not confident and I did not advocate loudly enough. I, I mean, I did what I knew to do at that time. I spoke to the residents, I spoke to the attending, I spoke to the nurse, I spoke to the charge nurse. And now obviously anyone can call a stroke alert, but that concern was kind of passed off because I hadn't really earned that that space and I hadn't I hadn't communicated effectively. So when the next attending came on shift and the nurse said, the physical therapist is pretty sure this patient's had a stroke, the response was much different and the patient got the care that they needed. In the end, it didn't impact the outcomes at all, but because there wasn't an intervention that was appropriate, but nonetheless, like that patient needed the appropriate care and management and I hadn't communicated well enough to make that happen. Now that does not happen to me. So making sure you're communicating effectively. Time management is huge because you may have two hours where you don't see a patient, but you may see eight patients in two hours. It, it just depends on how the day goes. Mm -hmm. And then you also need to be able to manage your priorities. Like you have to look at a caseload of patients and decide how to prioritize. And then finally, you have to be able to document things effectively and quickly, because if that patient needs to go to rehab, your case management staff needs good justification for how we're getting from the emergency department to rehab. If you're trying to get equipment for a patient, it's the same thing. And then you want to think too, like who is, who are your stakeholders? Who is going to read your note? Is it an outpatient therapist? Is it an insurance company? Is it the medical team? Like who are you writing to and then tailoring that? And then I think the last thing you have to have really good skills with is developing therapeutic alliance quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like acute care therapists are pretty good at that, right? Like we almost always see at least one new patient per day, but you might be seeing yeah. new patients consistently. You're never hopefully going to see these patients again. And you need to establish trust fast quickly. so that you can yeah. do something for them. You don't have like three weeks to get them to trust you. Like you have about three minutes. So I think using that skill set to really connect with people quickly is crucial. Well, it's clear you've garnered a lot of respect in the emergency department because I did notice you said the doctor called you Dr. Griffith. Yeah. And I don't feel like that's commonplace. Like we're not called doctor from doctors many times. So I think that's really cool. We are working on that. And with our last pilot program, because everything in the ED really runs on an algorithm, it actually says like the doctor of physical therapy will see you next. Wow. So that that's kind of the verbiage that's to be used. And part of that Great. is to manage up so yeah. that those patients have the expectation that they're going to see another doctor. The doctor of physical therapy will see you. And one of our physicians consistently says the doctor of physical therapy will diagnose and treat you and make appropriate recommendations when we're done here. And that sets that patient up for success and for knowing what our skill set is and for for understanding that we are the person they need to see and not the physician they just saw. So that like handoff is part of the mindset and culture building that you need to do when you start a program in the, in the emergency department. That's really cool. So before we move on to our rapid response, I do have to ask you one question. I'm ready. Tell us about your black belt in Taekwondo. <laughs> So but it's funny because I got my kids into martial arts because they all needed something different. I have a son with autism. I really thought it would help him with like some physical discipline and something to do for his body. And then my oldest son really was struggling with some self-confidence issues. And it turns out he's a really gifted athlete and Taekwondo really fits him very well and it gave him confidence and leadership skills. 
And then my daughter was just like so little, but she was just sitting around watching them do it all the time. So she was like, I want to do that too. So now I have a ballerina ninja who does <laughs> it as well. And then because my husband and I were just sitting around so often, he was like, I think I want to do it too. And I was like, okay, but like, there's no way I'm going to do that. Because for me, like I've always been the slow one, the non-athletic one, like uh, it is no lie or self-deprecation to tell you I have no coordination. I am a motor moron. Just, I am that person. And so I was like, I think, I just think I can't do it. And I had this like perception of I would struggle. I would embarrass myself. This is not for me. Athletic things are not for me. And I, my kids were like, why don't you want to do it? And I couldn't bear to tell them because I was scared <laughs> to fail. Mm. So I was really going to have to tell them that I was afraid to be embarrassed. I was afraid to learn something new. I was afraid to have that beginner's mindset. And I was afraid that I would just be bad at it. So I, I, I couldn't say that to them. So they said, just try it, mom. And I was like, oh, okay. And I did. <laughs> And I tell you what, I'm not good at it. Like, I'm really not. Like, I'm still not coordinated. I'm still the slowest one. I'm still never going to be the one that, like, wins that gold medal. But what I have won is that ability to see that I can persevere at something, mm -hmm. that I can show up and struggle. And there are still things I can be the best at. So when I go on the mat, like, I, I try to be the one with the best focus. Or I try to be the one with the best response. Or I try to be the one who encourages their teammates the most. And I try to be clear with my kids because they see me struggle. They see me miss my board breaks. They see me lose in tournaments. They see me get punched in the nose. I got punched in my nose piercing oh my in my gosh. last test. They see all that. And then they see how I respond to that. And they see me go back and try again. And they say, you know, it's okay if you don't win, mom. I said, you know, it is okay because it's something I enjoy doing and it's good for me to struggle and I enjoy being here with you and I enjoy being here with my team. And that's really, to me, what my black belt is about. Like I had to fight tooth and nail for that sucker. And it took me way longer than it should have to get, I, I'm now a first degree level two black belt and it's going to take me forever. Will I ever get to the end of the line? Probably not. Like there's going to be a ceiling where I just can't get to that next level maybe. But the final thing that I really learned from Taekwondo was this concept of yet. And we talk about that a lot in our house. You might not be good at this yet. Mm. You might not understand this math problem yet. You might not, you know, have a best-selling book yet. But it kind of gives you that mindset of like that life is achievable, problems are solvable, and that we can continue to work towards something. And it really puts you in this focus of growth mindset and not a fixed mindset. And that's a way I want to live. So to me, my black belt is kind of representative of a willingness to accept the struggle of a growth mindset. Rebecca, that is such a fantastic message, especially for all the students out there that are listening to this, the new grads, the yeah. physical therapists that are scared of working in the ED, possibly to be able to, to take that step and say, you know what, I'm not that good yet, but I'm going to get there. So that's You don't fantastic. work in the emergency department yet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right. I think it's time we're going to do our rapid responses. Rebecca, do you understand our game that we play over here? Ready. Right? I'm just going in with two feet. Just play it on just, me. We're just throwing it out there. We're going to throw out these questions. I, do I win right. a prize at the end? The satisfaction of knowing that you have shared a little more information about yourself. Okay. All right, I'm ready. 
All right, Aaliyah, you can ask the first question. Ready? All right, first and question. And you get a minute and a half. Go. Rebecca, what is your most favorite scrub color? Oh, you know, it's funny you ask because our scrub colors are like this nice dark teal and I accidentally painted my bedroom walls that color and somebody accused me of having Stockholm syndrome with my job because my walls <laughs> are the color of my scrubs. So, but when I'm looking to decorate, I just wear my scrubs to the store and it's fine. Awesome. Very cool. So what was the color? Teal. teal. Like a dark teal. teal. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Morning person or night owl? Morning. I'm non-functional at night. Don't even talk to me. <laughs> I'm the opposite. If you had a theme song for every time you walked into a patient's room in the ER, what song would that be? Oh, oh gosh. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I would say maybe right now I'm feeling a little bit of like Sia's unstoppable. Like okay. we're going to get it done. Like we are unstoppable together. We're going to partner and we're going to like, we're Porsche with no brakes. Awesome. I like it. I like it. Ooh. If you could be any animal, what would you be? Oh my gosh, I would probably be a koala because people would want to carry me around and I could nap a lot. Awesome. <laughs> and they're so cute. They are adorable. Favorite Agreed. restaurant in Colorado? Favorite restaurant in Colorado. Ooh. Oh gosh. Okay. So there's a, a place that makes breakfast burritos. I've never eaten there for any other reason. Breakfast and it's burrito. like, you don't get a choice, right? Like you can tell them how hot you want it, but you don't get any opinion about it. <laughs> hot. Mild or half and half. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah. our last question yep. that we ask everybody, okay. you know, you work in acute care when complete the sentence, you leave your shoes outside. <laughs> like my shoes do not come in the house. They are outside animals. <laughs> Even if it rains or snows or. Well, they stay in the garage. Okay. Like they do not All come right. into the home. That's so fair. No. That's mm -hmm. fair. Shoes are quarantined away from the family. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Rebecca, if our listeners want to find you, where can they find you? So you can find me on social media at the EDDPT on Instagram and Twitter, also on Facebook, the Emergency Department Physical Therapist. And our website is www.theeddpt.com. Wonderful. Any parting thoughts before we sign off? I think the last thing I would say is, is that being a physical therapist is like such a profound privilege. And that one of the best things about it is that we get to be the hope bringers and the people yep. that give people their second first steps and, and get people back to the lives that they want to live. And that's such a gift. And I think we've been losing sight of that as we come out of what's been arguably the most stressful like season of our careers. So I just want to remind you that what we do is amazing. And if you're having trouble with that, I'm happy to like reach out to you and talk to you about why you got into this and, and why we do what we do. And we need more PTs, particularly in acute care. So if you're ready to be a hope bringer, I hope you'll choose acute care. I love that. Hope bringers. That's a great way to end the show. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much. We would like to thank Rebecca for joining us today. Acute Conversations is the official podcast of APT Acute Care. It is hosted by Leo Argulis and Ashley Poole. Executive produced by Katie Brito and Edward Mathis. Music by Alexia Action from Pixabay. Sound effects also from Pixabay. For more information about APTA Acute Care, please go to our newly updated website, aptacutecare.org. And be sure to check out our show notes for links and resources from the Academy. If you found value from our podcast, please be sure to subscribe, follow, and share with your friends and colleagues. Join us in two weeks for a conversation with the Practice Committee Dynamic Duel of Morgan Lopker 
and Rattle and Burden, where we discuss the updated Lab Values Interpretation resource and past and future initiatives of the committee. Thank you for listening, and may your shoes and scrubs stay clean today.